Good afternoon everyone, how are you guys doing? What's going on? Welcome to episode 19 of Merchants of Novigrad, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss everything Gwent. Today with me, my, my partner in crime, Hesser Tavern, and as you guys can see, once again we have a very special guest, the open number two semi-finalist and the infamous destroyer of chairs, Redrame. How are you guys doing? What's going on? I've been doing pretty well. Doing great, doing great, man. Before we get into it, a couple of words to our viewers. Guys, if you have any questions, you can ask them in chat. Hesser, as always, has been charged with the task of collecting the more interesting ones, and we'll try to answer them as we go. Also, if you want to stay in touch off stream, you can follow us on Twitter at Novigrad Podcast, and if YouTube or Spotify are places where you would rather watch this episode, it's going to be uploaded onto these and a couple more platforms either tonight or tomorrow. And with that being said, I think it's a good moment to get into the first segment of the podcast, which, as usual, is what I've been up to. So, Red Rain, it's been a week since your official tournament debut. How are things? How are you doing? I've been doing pretty well. I've mostly just gone back to streaming, which I think was very welcome for a lot of people. Uh, I took the open very seriously, and at some point I was just like, screw it, I'm going to focus on what matters, and I'm going to call off my stream. And I think that took a lot of people by surprise, because a lot of people think of me as sort of more of a memer, or just someone who usually plays the game a little bit more for fun. Uh, but, I mean, it was my turn to be competitive, and I wanted to give it a real legitimate shot. So it just kind of felt like the best thing to do. Yeah, what I noticed is, um, shortly after you got back to streaming, some of your titles were very reflective. Like, you were reflecting on your tournament performance. I think one of the titles was, I totally threw, um, threw game one or something like that. Mm. Uh, but what I wanted to ask is, uh, you know, maybe not uh, something uh, related to the gameplay itself, but, but um, to your reactions during the tournament. Because I think it's really the first thing people want to hear about. Did you expect, you know, your colorful reactions to gain you the title of audience's favorite? Um, I didn't really expect my reactions to so much. For me, my reactions were just kind of like, you know, it wasn't so much about trying to gain the favor of the audience as much as just trying to create something that people would actually want to watch. I have kind of a dark secret, which is that until literally... Gwen Open Season 2 number 1, like the one before this, where I knew I was going to be in the Open, and I figured, oh, I better watch one of these things. I had actually never watched one of these things. <laughs> and I had sort of thought to myself, you know, why is that? And then when I watched Open number 1, I sort of realized, you know, it was a lot to sit through. It was kind of dull. Um, and I felt like as a streamer, I was in a good spot to sort of try to tackle that head on. Uh, I'm also a fan of chess, and like recently something sort of similar uh, had happened in there with Hikaru Nakamura opening up a tournament with a whole bunch of casual streamers, which is just very different from like their normal attitude towards running like serious events for that game uh, that gain a lot of publicity. Normally they just kind of gather like the best of the best and they fight and then rinse and repeat until, you know, everyone's tired of seeing them. Uh, and so I thought, huh, that's really interesting. And I kind of wanted to, I kind of wanted to do what I could in that sense. And it was also just a way for me to personally deal with the stress, which uh, there was a lot of. 
Um, so I wasn't sure if that would gain me. I'm not sure how much of uh, the audience seeming to like me for the most part was uh, due to that or just due to me being NA or I don't know. There were a lot of weird things about it. Maybe me being a streamer as well in itself. Yeah, I wouldn't say so, but um, what you said about the tournament uh, usually being dull, there is a lot of truth to that. And, you know, without naming anyone specifically, uh, sometimes when, when watching a, a, a tournament, and specifically th this one, there was a lot of people saying, oh, thank, you know, thank God this guy is not playing because he would make it even, even more dull and, and boring and he would rope and, and this and that. So to have this kind of refreshing attitude of one of the participants that was really nice to see um but you are not the only one now you are not the only person who was there hesser you had your plate full during the open how are things oh, yeah have, have yeah. you had enough time to relax since then uh sure sure actually after the tournament i i obviously had some work to do as well and we had the expansion to check out but apart from that, I was I was trying to find as much you know relaxation time as possible, and yeah, well the tournaments you know it's inevitable I would say that the long tournaments will be like that will be a bit dull, and even if some of the players are bringing some cool and innovative decks, it's it's still gonna be a hard you know piece of time to get through, like eight or nine hours for some of the viewers was unbearable I would I could imagine. And yeah, even even like for us there, right, working, I had like three prayers this time uh, to translate for, and that was also a pretty pretty tough tough work. Yeah, so especially yeah, since you had to switch between languages, right? Because yeah, you were not yeah, only yeah, translating um, the Russian players, but also uh, Wong ID. So you had a Chinese player as well. Yeah, it doesn't make it easier. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can, I can imagine. But you touch upon a very important topic for this specific episode, and that's the expansion. And um, that's why I wanted to keep this segment fairly short, because Master Mirror dropped only a couple of days ago, and there is a lot of things to talk about. So let's start maybe with your general opinion on the expansion. What are your first impressions, guys? Oh, that's kind of a hard one. Um, I go back and forth on my first impressions of uh, Master Mirror a lot. Um, I think as a whole, I actually would say I think the expansion is pretty neat. I think it introduced a lot of new concepts. Like One good thing I can say about the expansion for sure is that there's no deck that just comes out like commonly on the ladder right now where I can say, oh yeah, this was this deck from last patch. It feels like every deck is either like got some new tools and feels significantly reformed, or is just flat out uh, brand new. Uh, and I think that's really cool. I think a lot of expansions in the past failed to do that. Um, and I think that's honestly the most important thing an expansion can do. In terms of actual balance, uh, definitely not all of the factions are equal right now. Um, so there's a little bit of grief there. Um, it's hard to know precisely when or if CDPR will get around to sort of hotfixing that. Uh, and it would be kind of nice to see. Uh, but overall, honestly, nothing... like I would say it doesn't feel too, too bad. Right now, I've enjoyed my experience laddering. So I would say overall, it was a success. 
Yeah, that's oh, yeah. that's how I see it as well. But um, Hester, I'm also eager to hear your opinion on the expansion, because uh, be you've been streaming a little bit more as a result of this new content drop. So, uh, how do you oh, feel yeah. about Master Mirror? Well, I was really, you know, eager on trying out the new expansion. I was fed up with the with the last meta, I think, like most of the other people. And uh, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. And uh, as Red Rame said, apart from all the balance stuff that is going on right now, all the uh, possible, you know, changes and tweaks that can happen in the future and should be pro probably implemented, I'm really enjoying it right now. So... Uh, you know, there are no, apart from the Skellige, hopefully not, uh, you know, uh, it's not going to stay like that for, for a long time. But the other decks and the other archetypes that appeared after the Master Mirror feel really good. Like, for example, this Skyatel with the Symbiosis, um, the Monsters with the Weather, right? The Spice, it, it all, you know, appeared as expected. But yeah, before before we talk about the design and balance, let's just you know focus on the artwork and premium value of this expansion. What do you guys think about that? Because uh, it struck me that this expansion was actually better than the previous ones in terms of artwork. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I, I think that you definitely made a very good point. Because, um, and I, I actually would like to connect it to what Redrim Red just said, you know, it's the artwork connects to the abilities, and it's not something that we often see in Gwent. Like quite often, you you will see you will see people asking about you know the lore or the artwork side of the card being somehow disconnected from what the card actually does. And this time around, you know, the art is great and it actually properly represents what the card is supposed to do. So yeah, I'm mm. I'm all on board. I think the you know. Um, Artwork-wise, and also premiums. Premiums are amazing this expansion. It's something that a lot of people criticized um, in the recent months. You know, premiums being nerfed, so to, so to speak. So uh, yeah. when I was crafting the cards, when I was opening kegs, I noticed that all these premiums, even if there is not much going on, there is no glitches, there is no bugs, everything seems very smooth. So, uh, in, in, you know, in, in that regard, it's probably the best expansion to date. Yeah, I uh, I haven't paid as much direct attention to the art, but there are definitely a lot of premiums that have really stood out to me as just really cool. And I feel like that's something where when an expansion launched in the past, normally there would either be like this little flag that said premium coming soon, <laughs> or there would be oh, like yeah. or or that or that <laughs> that border like 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 flashing that okay there is no premium but there is gonna be one. Yeah, that too. Uh, so. Because of that, it felt like even if some of the expansions probably had some really good premiums, I just didn't really notice them. And by the time I got to see the premium, it didn't really feel like, oh yeah, this is an expansion card. It felt like, oh yeah, this is a card. Um, and so I think it's really cool that on release, premiums are working properly, and there are so many cool ones. Uh, Broadens in particular is probably my favorite one from the new set. Uh, I think that just looks really cool. Um, I can, having never met like Brothens in the actual Witcher universe, uh, it's I can tell exactly where he fits in lore wise, which I think is really awesome. Like between his artwork and his voice lines, it's uh, 
it's very telling what he does, but it doesn't feel like it's just like shoving the story in your face. It's, it feels like it's illustrating it really well. Uh, and I think that's really cool. Uh, I'm sure obviously there are a bunch of other great examples as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think the best part about Brathens is you actually never meet him reading the books or playing the games. He's only mentioned here and then. Mm. So to translate it into an actual card that's so well represented, that's that's art on its own. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. would have fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of cool stuff like that. I think, I think my favorite is gonna be uh, the Mage Infiltrator. Like when I first saw the art, I was like, "Oh, this card is so pretty," and and then you know I saw the Premium, which is also really, really nice. And then you have uh, the voice lines that are also amazing. It's just all round good design. I, I enjoyed cards like that. Um, but Hesser uh, touched upon the topic of balance and, and harmony. And I think that's something that we really need to talk about because for a very long time, Harmony was the ultimate tier one deck that was being banned every single tournament. And now it's finally changed. So my question would be, uh, do you think the, these changes um, will seriously affect Harmony's viability long term? Um... I don't know if that was to me or to Hester. Uh, both of you but... guys. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. go on, go on, Remy. Yeah. Uh, so I think I mean the obvious answer is yeah, it matters. It's uh, it's it's a nerf. Nerfs tend to uh, affect the viability of decks, and you could argue that there are so many new decks coming out right now that maybe the nerf is a little bit heavy-handed, just because Harmony didn't really get that much in terms of new tools. Honestly, up until very late into the expansion reveal, I thought it was completely going to go the other way. I was really calling for a Harmony nerf, because one of the first cards that CDPR revealed, which I think was not the smartest move in my opinion, was uh, Oak Critters. And it's like, you've got this brand new expansion, why reveal this card that looks like it's mostly designed to go into the deck that people really hate right now? Mm -hmm. uh, just in terms of like 7 for 4... It has one of the best harmony tags. It works with rebuke. Like it has everything going for it in the deck that exists right now. And there are like so many cool cards that look like they're clearly designed for new decks. Uh, but then as more cards were revealed, that thankfully wasn't really the trend of most of the other cards. And so because of that, harmony was actually left a little bit behind. And you could argue maybe the nerf didn't need to happen. But I would still say good riddance. I would say Waters of Broccolon, I think, was inherently a problematic card uh, that was holding back the uh, Harmony archetype by just making it so that if Harmony had any other payoffs for running Harmony besides Waters of Broccolon, it would just they would just be too good. So I, I see it as a short-term change that gives Harmony a little bit more of an identity in terms of not just being this deck that can win any long round with two Waters, but also push really well and play really high-value bronzes that have the Harmony tag. Um, I see it more as sort of clearing the space for something new to be there. I think cards like old Etrial Merlega were really interesting with how they interacted with Harmony. It was like you got two Harmony tags and they also really wanted to work with each other. Cards like Barnabas, I think, are really interesting. And so I think because of the Harmony change, 
CDPR in the future can actually print more of those. And I think that would be a lot healthier than, oh yeah, by the way, Waters is still a deck that exists. It probably wouldn't be tier one if it, or if it wasn't nerfed uh, right now with all of the crazy new cards, but it would be a deck for sure. And uh, I don't think it would be like an exciting new deck. So I'm happy to see it gone and I'm happy to see sort of the pathway cleared for something else. Yeah, it also opens up a little bit of space to tweak Mystic Echo, because I, I feel like Mystic Echo just became the victim of Waters of Brocolon. Like the, the, the leader ability was, was fine for a very long time. And then all of a sudden we got we got Waters and you know the, the leader got nerf after nerf after nerf. And it didn't really solve anything. Mm. So yeah, I, I, I agree with your statement. Uh, good riddance, especially considering how easy, supposedly, Harmony wa uh, was to play. Like, I've always had this idea of Gwent where, you know, um, the more powerful the deck is, then the, the harder it is going to um, be to play. So for example, like the first thing that, that always came to mind was uh, Beta Spice. Because like, the, even, even during tournament, you saw players misplaying because the deck was just so inherently difficult to pilot. So to have Harmony up there, just not really requiring that much of of, of skill and still dominating the ladder, um, that, was, that, was, that was a sore in the eye, I think. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we, we also got to point out that this Harmony nerf was actually... Uh, really well done, I would say, because it's it's difficult. The a lot of people were saying that harmony is a really well refined mechanic, and how would you nerf that, right? How can you come up with the viable nerf and keep this keep this this mechanic on, right, without nerfing that to the ground? And I think that you know binding it to the raw uh, actually worked well for that. It's still a viable deck. It's still a viable mechanic, right? So it's pretty well done, I gotta say. Yeah, exactly. Well done, it's, it's still viable, but it didn't get killed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that it's not nerfed in the short round. It makes yeah. it much more clear that these are like really high value cards that can get a lot of value quickly, as opposed to just being like engines designed to dominate a long round. I, I thought that was a super smart change when I saw it come out. Oh, I think yeah. that was easily like the the moment I read that in the patch log, I was so excited. I was like, <laughs> wow, this is actually a really good fix. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, That's true. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. Harmony also got competition in symbiosis, right? So, uh, what's your view on the new keywords introduced in Master Mirror? Um, there are a lot of new keywords, but I guess if we're talking specifically about symbiosis, I'm actually very bearish on it. I think as a Gord player, I don't really feel like the symbiosis cards are actually worth playing in that deck. I feel like there are a lot of new cards that are just more reliable and stronger that are neutrals. Uh, it feels like having to rely on having absolutely no way to punish anything tall uh, can get you into a lot of dangerous situations when there are a lot of great swords and a lot of nilf guard uh, just running around running around ladder right now. Uh, so I really like having access to a Karathi heat wave. And I think more than that, Oniromancy is an absolutely insane card in that deck. Yeah. <laughs> that deck, the biggest problem with Gord last patch was you were running Novagradi Injustice, Tris Telekinesis, Karathi Heatwave, and like a bunch of Scoia'tael units. So like, which tutors do you want to play? 
it's like really not obvious. Yeah. Like if you play Mata, it totally doesn't fit the deck. The deck wants to be able to push really aggressively, and Mata totally fights mm-hmm. that plan. Mata is much more of a like a pass and then play it round three sort of card. Uh, and if you run any other tutor, you're just kind of asking to miss golds, which is what I had to deal with. Uh, I pretty much was just okay. I'm just gonna never mold Justice Heatwave Triss, and I'm gonna try to draw my golds. Uh, and that feels absolutely terrible. And now I have to draw one goal, which is Oniromancy. Uh, and then I can play every single goal in my deck. Uh, and I think that's absolutely insane. And you get two spells, which is also insane. Uh, just because uh, you get... Uh, I mean, if you're running like Johnny Sage, it can be even better. But even just two points for Gord uh, on such a flexible tour makes the card feel so good. Um I think of the sim, I kind of got off track here because I was talking about <laughs> why I don't think symbiosis is worth it, which kind of led to me not talking about symbiosis. Um, I think Ethne is a cool card. I like Ethne. It's really hard to save Ethne for round three with what feels like a lack of another game plan for symbiosis, is sort of what I would view as the problem. It feels like you're mostly relying on bronzes like Hamadryad, which maybe aren't pushed enough. Uh, and then just like vitality on that card, which will always be very vulnerable to some sort of tall punish or removal or just your strategy sort of being countered out. It all feels like you have to play a little bit too fair until you get Ethne. And then even then, once you play Ethne, they might have a way of picking off your young dryads. And then is the card really as great as like some of the other evolving cards like uh Harold, for example. Harold is really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Usurper, I think, is also great. Like I would I, I it's it's sort of hard for me to see playing Symbiosis right now, but I think the mechanic's really cool. I think there's definitely more that could be done with it. I was kind of surprised that there was no payoff for trees. Uh that was one thing I think I expected when I saw Symbiosis as a mechanic. Mm. Just because it's like this, you know, this tag makes a bunch of trees. How would you yeah. differentiate that? Maybe there's a card that like benefits from having trees. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so yeah, th- that's a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. But right you... now, sorry, I apologize. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm bad. I know. <laughs> it's oh, okay. You're the guest. You are the star of this episode, so don't yeah. feel bad about talking yeah. because that's why we got you on the show. Your <laughs> insights are very valuable, man. If you uh, say so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you actually uh, brought up a very interesting point of uh, symbiosis not being worth it. And there is another keyword where people always ask themselves, is it worth playing into that? And that's devotion. Do you mm-hmm. guys think that devotion is clever design or is it an obstacle in the deck building process? Is it too restrictive? I go back and forth on that one. I think it's sort of a faction-by-faction case right now. I would say that in some of the... Like, my answer to that question would probably be yes, uh, if I had to answer it right now. Just, like, some of the factions, Devotion feels incredibly restrictive, and it feels like we could have just gotten cards that you could put in any deck, uh, which would maybe just be cooler. Um, because they just it just feels like a lot of factions lack tools that I would consider to maybe not be essential in theory, but just in terms in, of in practice, at least having the threat of having something like a tall removal or having a tutor so that you can actually find your devotion golds. 
uh, can sometimes, like, if you don't have that, that can really screw you. Um, so in factions like Nilfgaard, where they have some of those options, and you can still threaten to do something scary, even if you're not actually playing that card, uh, or maybe you are playing that card and you didn't draw it as well because your devotion. Like, the fact that Nilfgaard at least has access to Roderick and has Invo, I feel like makes Devotion a pretty good mechanic uh, in that faction. But in some of the other factions, like Scoia'tael, like I was mentioning, uh, where the best Symbiosis card requires Devotion, um, where there is no tall removal, um, you really feel it uh, when you're playing that deck. Or, like, Monsters, I feel like, is another Devotion deck that people really wanted to see because it has really cool devotion payoffs and they're on really efficient cards uh like winter queen and oberon are really strong uh but it just feels hard to play the deck when i think the only tutor monsters really has access to right now is uh Nagalfar. Uh and that's never a fun tutor to, re to rely on like all <laughs> on its own especially yeah. for a faction that cares so much about round one so there are a lot of factions where it just feels like, man, if I could play this one neutral card, that doesn't necessarily feel like it's designed to increase the power of the deck as much as make it feel better and more consistent to play. I feel like in those decks, I just kind of... I wouldn't necessarily say Devotion is bad, but I feel like the factions should have some alternative of a tool. Uh, I feel like there's the card pool is a little bit limiting for Devotion where it feels sort of like another instance of Shoop Radea, where with Shoop and Radea, you're spending so many provisions jamming golds into one deck that it's really hard to fit tutors. And you're running a bunch of garbage bronzes, so your plan is kind of just draw the golds, don't play the bronzes. And to some extent, Devotion feels a little bit like that in terms of there's a lot of variance game to game of... Uh, if you draw, like, especially with the combined with the Echo Golds, and often not having ways to tutor them. Um, some games you'll just draw all your golds and you'll have a really crazy deck. And then other games you'll just sort of miss out on golds and wish that you could play, like, any neutral tutor. Uh, a lot of the neutral cards that are introduced um, feel really good to play, like Oniromancy, and it's kind of sad that they're cut off. Uh, and it also just feels like there are a lot of neutral texts that while I don't really like them as cards, I don't like the thought of not being able to play something like an Igni or a Bombheaver as being the punishment for running Devotion. It's kind of just, to me, it feels like if that's really so punishing that you can't play one of those cards, I would rather just those cards be changed and whatever those cards were trying to kill out also be changed. But obviously that's work and it's much easier said than done. Oh yeah, and um, yeah. you see the one important thing there. Um, there's a lot of great neutral tutors, and of course, Oniromancy is one of the MVPs of of this expansion. But even if you look at the last open stats, a lot of people brought Royal Decree. It was one of the more more popular cards during tournament. And with that being said, I'm actually gonna say something that's probably unpopular, and that's somehow um, challenging what you just said that you know devotion feels okay Nilfgaard we have to remember the marching orders and, and royalty are both tactics so uh, they were great tutors to play with Menno and now mm. if you are playing into devotion you cannot use these cards you have to rely on something like Roderick that's obviously not guaranteed 
and you have to rely on work console. Yeah, that's not false. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't really know what to say to that besides it's not false. <laughs> like, <laughs> devotion as a whole does kind of. I think I've leaned towards devotion feeling a little more restrictive than good. I also am a little bit sad that all of the payoffs, like for every single faction, uh, the cool new evolving cards that every deck really wants to play are all locked behind devotion. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel feel like that's the part where it's maybe a little restrictive. Like if it was just these bronzes or this one gold that was clearly for a specific archetype, like, for example, I think the reason I say Nilfgaard Devotion is okay is because clearly you want to be playing Devotion in something like a Spy deck so that you can abuse Fergus. Uh, and in, in that deck, something like a Royal Decree or a Marching Orders is less likely to be, like, a crucial component to that deck. But then suddenly, because Usurper General is a card, every Nilfgaard deck would sort of like to be Devotion because that card is just good. Yeah. Um, and sure, it can still kind of be just good when you just use the second form of it, but it just feels really bad that you're not getting the full value out of a card that you're playing and, like, intentionally choosing to put in your deck. Um, so I think it would be a lot cooler if maybe those cards just did transform and then there was, like, one more Devotion payoff for Faction uh, that was a little bit more archetype-specific. Um just because I think the evolving cards are, A, really cool. I really like the evolving cards. Uh, I think that's such a good mechanic, uh, and I hope that there's a lot more that's done with that. Uh, and B, I think, uh, because they're really cool and they're new, I think a lot of people really want to play them, and then a lot of people are just immediately getting baited into Devotion. And you could say, well, maybe that's their fault. You know, It's, it's a decision to be made. Um, and that's kind of true. But I feel like it feels like it's a pitfall that people are being led into, and it like just makes sense. Like it feels like it would feel better if people sort of knew how to deck build with the cards, and you could just put them into any deck. Uh, given that they're cards that like are very clearly meant to be played a lot, uh, rather than just making them devotion specific, and then having everyone be really sad whenever they're trying to play one of those cards outside of devotion. Yeah, uh, what you said about evolving cards, that's, that's especially true uh, when it comes to like, a variety of facts. But what I wanted, what I wanted to say, uh, uh, continue on the topic of Nilfgaard and Devotion and Usurper, as you said, which is a good card. One thing that I had in mind when I saw these cards was like, oh yeah, I want to play one turn scenario where I pull Usurper. Because what I what I did when uh, Emergence of a Fear dropped is I played Strategic Withdrawal with the sole intent of play a cycling scenario in one turn, like the, the way uh, Skellige does it. So what I thought mm. was, okay, I'm gonna just play whatever card, I'm gonna pull it back, you know, play play the scenario, and then I'm gonna play something like Marching Marching Orders into Roderick, which is an aristocrat, into Us- Usurper the third stage, which is also an aristocrat, and I'm just gonna bank on all these, you know, um, statuses right there, and. It's it's not really possible because you cannot play your own decree, you cannot play marching marching orders. So, you know, mm. getting that Roderick is is not always guaranteed. So that kind of ruined my dreams. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But you you um you talk a lot about monsters uh, not profiting from um uh, from devotion as much. 
Um, Frost. That's, that's one thing I, I really want to talk about because everyone seemed to be hyped about Frost being back. And then you had also the second group of people saying, guys, we've had various weather metas in the past. Aren't you afraid that Frost might become oppressive at some point? No, not really. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a, I can't think of a fancier answer to that. I think at some point, Frost might become good. Um, but I feel like CDPR made their stance very clear by actually just removing the counters to Frost, that they actually wanted weather to be sort of online with uh, the, like, on par with the value of other cards. I think it's really good to see weather moving in that direction. And I feel like, I feel like weather is a balanceable mechanic, especially now that weather only lasts some number of turns. Like, it feels like you're trading value for sort of the... It feels like you're trading tempo for value when you're playing weather. And right now, you're not actually trading tempo for that much value. And I suspect that'll change. I suspect Frost will maybe get buffed a little bit uh, moving forward. Um, but I'm not really too worried about it. Uh, it feels like a mechanic that uh, there's a lot of play to it. There's a lot of playing around it. Uh, there are other ways to more indirectly counter it, like armor, which I think are a lot better uh, to be relying on than like a very specific weather clear. That was what felt really bad about beta weather matters, was uh, so many games would come down to, do you have the death mold at this particular moment, or something to you know, clear Ragnarug and Drought, or whatever nonsense uh, was thrown at you. Mm. Um, so I like the approach of, this is just going to be a monster mechanic now. Uh, it's going to be balanced properly. Uh, I don't think it will be oppressive in monsters. Weather also conflicts with a lot of their other really strong tools, uh, like in Dragalarva and now Ethereal. Ethereal is the other problem with Devotion monsters. Is uh, <laughs> That card is pretty good. <laughs> that card is uh, pretty good. <laughs> There's another card that's pretty good, and that's actually being played in Frost. Yeah, right? the Winter Queen, right? If it wasn't for mm -hmm. the Winter Queen, actually, I, I guess it's it wouldn't be played so much. So mm -hmm. basically, lack of the clear means that it's quite easy to pull the Winter Queen. And what do you think about her value and like the provision value balance? Like four for eight, is that really balanced right now comparing to the other cards similar to that? Um, if you're comparing her to like Aileron or, I mean, there's a, you could say a Fawn or Markfire, even though those are kind of different. I think Aileron is probably the best comparison. Roach. I would say, honestly, it's hard to compare Winter Queen to any card right now because I wouldn't consider Elves to be good, uh, in the current state of the game. Uh, whereas Frost, I think you absolutely could play. I kind of view Winter Queen as the reason you would play Frost. I feel like the other Frost cards right now are not so good when you're usually having to hybridize them with other game plans, or you're playing like full-on devotion monsters, in which case Winter Queen would be part of the payoff for that. Um, I would say Winter Queen without devotion is actually not that good. Um, so I feel like Winter Queen is well-balanced. You can either play a 4 for 8 in any deck, which, with weather, it, it's okay. 4 for 8, 
that comes out of your deck for free is not bad value, but it requires you to play something somewhat specific. Or you can play a 4 for 8 with Thrive from your deck, which is really good, but then you have to have Devotion. And Monsters is pretty punishing for Devotion, so you absolutely need something like that to even incentivize it at all, uh, alongside Oberon. Uh, I would say yes, I think it's balanced. Uh, if anything, maybe not even pushed enough, although I would probably buff other cards rather than Winter Queen. Yeah, the only reason we ask this question is um, it kind of... When we wrote this down, it felt like having Frost on two rows feels somewhat easy to do. On the other hand, you are not really generating a lot of value, and then you have Eldoran, and you know, initially we thought, we thought you know, five units, that takes a little bit more of a setup. But then, then I mm. remembered, you know, maybe a, maybe a couple of, of expansions ago, now there's so many tools uh, within Scrata where you can just get two elves or three elves per turn. Which which makes um, Eldoran much easier to to get out of your deck. So so maybe so yeah. so, so I, I right now after what you just said I think I'm I'm keen on saying that four four eight feels feels okay. I'm not so sure about the thrive ability. Mm. Like four four for a thrive feels kind of tall. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but it's locked behind devotion, right? So yeah. there is another condition yeah. for that. I mean, I think that yeah, I think that's the key thing is you can say yeah. sure it's easy enough to pull Winter Queen. But when you actually look at it, it's not as easy as it looks. A lot of times you're wasting value by playing Frost on both rows rather than one row. Yeah. Uh, your opponent has to play into you Frosting both rows in order for it to get the full value. In cards like Wild Hunt Bruiser, sure, Monsters has access to movement now, but you really want to be using Wild Hunt Bruiser after you play Frost. So there's not like that key really efficient movement card to line up units on both rows and then pull Winter Queen. Um, and so because of that, I feel like Winter Queen has to be really good in order for Frost to actually be really incentivized right now. I could theoretically see it being a problem moving forward if they get enough other good tools, but I don't, but yeah, I would say it's balanced. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's also important to you, um, kind of, uh, highlight what you just said about, uh, incentivizing, um, the new content. And, you know, Frost is not the only archetype that got completely reworked. Um, spies are super fun to play. And uh, I think everyone had a little bit of a different vision of how the archetype would, would, would look like if it finally um, got back to Gwent. Um, so so what's, your, what's your take on, on the shape the, the spies were given in Master Mirror? Is it what you expected? Would you do something differently? Um, I would say it's not what I expected, but that's for the better. I think the two biggest successes of Master Mirror as an expansion were the Harmony nerf and the Spy archetype. I think those are two things that a lot of people were calling for, and there were a lot of ways to do them wrong. As someone who actually played open beta, like at all, uh, I played against Spies, and everyone seems to remember them really nostalgically. And boy, did I hate them. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, they were kind of obnoxious to deal with. It felt like in the hands of a good player, you were just at a disadvantage playing almost any other deck. Uh, being And they were also very RNG-dependent. Missing an emissary chain felt very bad, especially when you were relying on like a key removal turn from your Impura Enforcers. 
so I really like the fact that like some of those mechanics are dealt away with, but you still really have like the core identity of spies. Uh, and it feel it feels a little more like Gwent to be playing spies now. Like they still have a clear plan. They're still very strong in the long round. But it feels a little bit more clear how to tackle them. They don't just do crazy amounts of thinning. Uh, they play they have to play a little bit more of a value game. They have a little bit of a harder time getting through round one. Like when you're playing spies, the first thing you notice is, okay, if I survive to round three and I don't get bled, I'm in really, really good shape. You have so many good tools with spies. But getting to that spot feels a lot harder than it was in open beta. I, I really like that uh, you have to manage your resources a bit more. Uh, cards like Fergus and Coup de Gras, I think, are also awesome. I think Coup de Gras... There was a lot of debate among Team Eratusa about Coup de Gras. A lot of my teammates were like, this card is going to break the game. Uh, and I was... I, I, I No. I was like, <laughs> I was so excited to see a card that looked like it was pushing an archetype and could be an insane amount of value, but you really had to orchestrate it. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely not going to let that go. I was right on that one. Coup de Gras is like totally a fine card, and it feels great. Uh, and I, I really like seeing that card in action. Um, being able to play a second Joachim is a really cool use, uh, but it's also a flexible card. Um, but it's also, it, as the opponent, you can play around it pretty easily. Like, in general, with the natural flow of gameplay, you generally want to be playing bronzes before golds. So you kind of have to go out of your way to give your opponent, like, a really good, like, Fergus and the Coup de Gras on some crazy target or something like that. Uh, and the card can be really awkward to use twice. If you bleed it, it's very hard to use in the short round. So it's a card that has very clear strengths and weaknesses, and I think that that's something that the game really needs more of. And I think it's a much healthier way to push an archetype than, here, here's this bronze called Emissary that's free points on all of your spy engines. Um, I, I like that there's... It, it just feels a lot better to me. I really like the new spy archetype. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and, and Cut the Grass, um, you know, it, it can backfire sometimes. Like Sometimes you're just not having the setup to um, gain enough value out of it. But sometimes, sometimes it's just such an amazing play. One of my best plays, and I don't think I'll be able, ever able to replicate that, was I had Seditious Aristocrats on the board. I played Menno into War Council, into Roderick, into... Um, Cut the grass, hit the Roderick, and then pulled Fergus. It was just mm. so many points on the Aristocrats. And it felt just so amazing to play. But I, I, and then again, it's not a competitive play. It's, it's probably not as many points as it seems. But it was just so fun to pull off. Mm. Yeah. And it uh, actually reminds me of the, the the old beta days when you could like play a couple of cards in one round. A lot of people say also that you know that limits Gwent a bit. That in most cases you are able only to play like one or two cards in one round, and and you know it's it's difficult to pull off some crazy combos, and that changes it, right? So this card, this card is absolutely different. But speaking of the uh, expectations that Red Ray mentioned uh, about. Uh, Coup de Gras, uh, before the expansion and after, right? It turned out to be a pretty balanced card, but some people were also pretty afraid of the Amnesty 
uh, and Mage, Inf Mage Infiltrator, right? So they, they, they still they weren't warmly received. So what's your take on these control tools? Uh, those are two very different questions to me. I think if Amnesty were printed at 5p, people would be right to be as afraid of it as they were. Um, the card maybe wasn't as strong as it looked on paper um, because it required devotion. And I don't think that fully sunk in uh, as to what that would actually entail for a lot of people. But it was also at that point a card that you could just run as a budget Swears. And you could argue that for that effect, a budget Swears is better than Swears. Even though normally you're adding like three points for three provisions, and that would, you, that would normally be considered a good thing in Gwent. Uh, but with an effect like Amnesty that's so sort of round one specific, where this card is really good round one, and it's there's a high chance of it being dead later, um, you might just be happier to be running the lower provision card. That's also a tactic. And I, I, I sort of feel like it was good that that card got nerfed, just so that it wasn't competing as directly with Swears. It feels like those cards now would go into different decks as opposed to be competing for the same deck. Uh, I, I, I still don't love the fact that Amnesty is basically just so overlapping with Swears, but it feels like you could at least argue that they're for different decks now. Um, as far as an actual control tool goes, there are, I think, way more ways to play around it than people on Reddit were acting like there were. Uh, I definitely think the Reddit reaction was a little overdone, even though I think they were uh, arguing for a cause that was probably ultimately just. I'm happier that Amnesty is at 6th and 5. Mage Infiltrator, on the other hand, totally fine card. I don't really mind it. You can play around it with positioning. It's 5 for 4. Uh, there are times where it's really strong, but it feels like that's, uh, I feel like that's fine. Like, if this, sure, this card could kill and then drag a larva, but it's not even like the monster player has no way of trying to avoid that fate. If you're playing Gurnikora, you've already done the job. You just play a fruit, and then you play the larva on each side of it. Uh, if you're playing any other monster leader, you can still play a unit first. And that feels bad, but it's really not the end of the world. Um, and against other factions, the utility of Mage Infiltrator actually feels pretty limited. I've played a lot of two-point Mage Infiltrators. Um, I, I, the card really doesn't bother me. It's like another removal tool. It feels in line with Nilfgaard's identity. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's this is you know this is only the Weisenberg's crash. That's why he wanted to talk about her. <laughs> that was not reason, not gonna lie, guys. Not gonna lie. Mage Infiltrator is my new waifu. It's the best girl. Easy. I gotta not spit that water out all over my laptop. <laughs> but speaking of removal and, and the faction identity, um, we already talked a little bit about Skellige, and I don't wanna really um delve too much into that territory because we don't want to turn this podcast into another reddit <laughs> but um Turgvi and the rupture status are they really the mvps of of Skellige right now uh so i don't know if i would call Turgvi the mvp of Skellige. i would however call Turgvi a design problem hmm. um the difference between a successful Turgi and a failed Turgvi is just so big, and it's not punishing enough to play a Turgvi that fails. 
that uh, it feels like you're pretty much always running Turk V and you're always running second wind to run it to potentially threaten another Turk V. And then if you don't play the Turk V, your opponent's keeping some random four point tourney joust and your deck already kind of wants a short round and has just a lot of high value cards. Uh, it, it's it's kind of just all of the options that Skellige has and some factions not being able to deal with it in a clean way. Like, when you're playing something like my Gord deck that runs double Dryad's Caress uh, and can play them somewhat efficiently, I would say Turk V feels totally fine. But when you're playing some other deck, like maybe a Northern Realms that just doesn't have a clear plan for dealing with Turg V, suddenly it feels like you're at a huge inherent disadvantage uh, just because your opponent can potentially play two Turg Vs. Uh, and I don't really like that very much. It feels like a card that sort of just... Turg V, I think, is so dominating that even if it's never played in a game, it has an impact. Uh, and I feel like that's maybe a little much. Like, Turg V could just flat out not be in your opponent's deck and you would still have to keep an answer for it. And most of the answers trade down with Turg V. There are very few gold cards that answer Turg V like, really efficiently. Uh, so because of that, I would say I don't really like the card. I definitely don't want there to be more rupture. More rupture would just... Uh, <laughs> more rupture would be kind of insane. Yeah, and it definitely... Um, yeah, go on. Yeah, I like the idea, sort of. One fix that one of someone in my chat suggested that I actually really liked uh, was just making Rupture take two turns to pop. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like that solves some of the problems of Turg V. It makes it less of a tempo card and more of a value card, so it's going in a little bit more of a clear direction as opposed to just being this super efficient answer. And then you always have passing as one option of dealing with Turg V. Um, it makes timing the card a little more difficult. It also makes it so that you can't just abuse red coin more. That's one thing that people really don't like about Turg V, is that if your opponent happens to just have a really good answer to Turg V, you can just play it when your opponent can't respond to it, and then it's really good. Or you can play it in round two if your opponent tries to bleed you, because they probably want to bleed you because you're playing veterans, and all of their veteran cards are going to get stronger round three, but then you get Turg if you bleed, so you can't bleed them, and you have to go to the long round. Like, I feel like when you run into those sorts of situations, that's where Turg feels like it can... Like, it's not only a card that's difficult to answer and more difficult to answer twice. It's also a card that just sometimes your opponent can decide, no, I don't want my opponent to answer Turg V. Uh, and then it's really good then as well. Uh, so... I think I think turning it into more of a value card than a tempo card would be a good solution. There are a couple of other things you could do with Rupture as well, like base power, but that's a pretty big nerf. You'd have to tweak some other numbers too if you did that. Um, the concept of the card, it feels like there's something there, but I would say overall right now it is kind of oppressive, even though I think Herald is the real reason Skellige is on top. Like, by far... Harold is definitely the MVP of SK. Turgvi doesn't deserve that title, but the card is really annoying. I thought it would be really annoying, so I don't know. It's kind lived up to no your expectations. There. Yeah. Maybe we should just uh, reintroduce uh, Truce as a mechanic. <laughs> maybe. So, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, but 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 your solution that you know it would just take two turns uh, for Turgvi to trigger Rapture. 
that probably works even better. Mm. Yeah, that would make more sense. Also, you know, it feels like they are kind of experimenting with that, right? Because this is the only card with Rapture, and they wanted mm. to probably check out, you know, just test the waters, how it works, and then maybe work on it later on. But it also... I got the same feeling about the devotion as well, because it feels like uh, you know a sneaky way to, for example, test the rotation, because they wanted you know to limit out the uh, the neutral cards, right? So maybe checking how will it work if we introduce maybe one expansion and rotate out some of the neutral cards from the game? Will it be mm. healthy for the deck building or not? So yeah, it feels That's like this this expansion feels like a bit of an experiment as well. Yeah, it just sucks for um, the community managers because, you know, if the experiment goes wrong, they're going to get all the heat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. What's new there? Speaking of heat, <laughs> there is a faction again that, that got some heat action going on. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's move from the biggest win rate faction to the lowest win rate faction right now, Syndicate, right? So uh, what do you think? Why is it, apart from the bug, obviously, with the uh, bounty, what is the reason that Syndicate is not being played as often since the expansion launch? I actually forgot about the bounty bug. That is rather <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but uh, even, without, even without bounty, there were plenty of Syndicate decks last patch that just ran no bounty and functioned well. Oh, yeah. uh, it felt like all of their eggs were in one basket, which was Firesworn. I think that was problem number one. Problem number two was that the core Firesworn cards, which actually felt really good, I really enjoyed playing Firesworn in previous metas. I, it felt like the Sacred Flame change was meant to help the card, and it ended up hurting the card. And it also sort of hurt the identity of the card. Like, in a sense, it works better with uh, the new Flaming Rose Footman now, because you can buff uh, all of your units in a row after you do all of your shenanigans with, like, spawning a bunch of Zealots and then transforming them. Uh, but in reality... I think transforming your Zealots into Flaming Rose Footmen is a pretty non-essential part of the whole Firesworn combo. A lot of the new cards that like have that ability aren't nearly as like strong in pushing of that archetype as like the old cards like Helvede, which were really strong. Um, so it kind of just felt like the new cards didn't do enough and then sort of overwrote the identity of the old cards as well. Um, it feels like... There are a lot of good new Firesworn cards that could be used to fill out a deck, but most of them aren't really that crazy good. Like, the only cards from the new expansion that I would consider actually pushing of an archetype uh, right now would be... You could argue Fallen Knight, although it's hard to utilize uh, Fallen Knight. <laughs> um, but uh, also uh, Ulrich and uh, Diasire, I think, are pretty good. But it's just, uh, they're really hard to utilize, and it feels like it's, uh, you know, it feel, like it's, they're really hard to utilize. Uh, they're kind of a lot more awkward to play than a lot of the new cards that uh, the other factions got. And they also require you to be Firesworn, uh, which I think is tough right now. A lot of the Firesworn cards, I would say Firesworn still just has some problems as an archetype. I don't know. Um, yeah, there there is not really much to talk about Syndicate right now because because of the things you just mentioned. But I would 
I actually like to cycle back to um, the topic of design and what, what Hester said about, you know, them experimenting a little bit. There is a couple of cards that are very, very similar. Cards like Egmont, cards like Urchion, cards like Phantom. It really... It really brings back the the idea of Unga. I'm like you, you probably remember Red Rain back in Beta when there was this concept of Unga that you know all, all factions have basically the same cards, but uh, just with a different art. They essentially do the same thing, and now we have a lot of cards like that this expansion. So, mm -hmm. um, what do you what do you think about this new set of Unga cards? So, um, Urchin, Egmont, Phantom, uh, what was uh, Danka, etc. Um, so one thing I think that CDPR has generally learned, uh, that I think they've generally gotten better about is that with these sort of cards where they all sort of have a template, uh, they actually mirror effects. They like put a little bit of a spin on each of the, uh, cards. Like in beta, there were a lot of cards where it was like, it's not clear why this card is a Skellige card versus a Northern Realms card when ultimately they're all reverse scouts. Um, and it feels like they've, it feels like they've gotten a little bit better at giving the faction cards a little bit more of an identity uh just in terms of uh like some of the cards will like eggman for example will activate will work as like a tamarian drummer whereas dunka will act as like a hand buff and it's like sure you could say the engines parallel each other but i think it's kind of fine i would say some of them like uh the Nilfgaard one the Nilfgaard one is unclear to me why it's Nilfgaard. uh i don't really like the like boost and then randomly transform into Dooney, it's not really clear which Nilfgaard archetype that's supposed to go into. It yeah. kind of feels a little bit more like a Northern Realms card because it's kind of like Botchling. It's got like a transform and like it boosts units and I think it would be clearer clearer if the transformation worked with Assimilate. That's true. Yeah. Because then boosting, of course, you are, you know, you could be boosting your uh, low tempo engines like the cavalry or the Duco Guard, and then you have the transformation that triggers all the engines. Then then it will be much, 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 much easier to understand why it's a Nilfgaard card. Right now, I, I don't really understand. And, and the immunity on that card, no idea why it's there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well... Not enough ideas. They had to come <laughs> up with something. <laughs> that could be the yeah, reason, yeah. Fair. You know, just simple human factor. Yeah, possible. <laughs> must, yeah, must, must be the reason why they revealed us the last card. <laughs> yeah. They were thinking about it until the very last moment and, okay, just screw it. Let's give him immunity. And <laughs> <laughs> All right, but yeah, speaking of which, uh, there's been some uh, opinions that the Veil cards make Imposter pointless, right? Or maybe just uh, slightly weaker right, than before. Another status, another status in the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My hot take there was that Imposter was already pointless. It kind uh, of was. <laughs> yeah. I liked what they were trying to do with that leader in terms of, like, you have some cool combo options with the lock cards, like Vanimar or Vadier, but it felt like those cards, like, it, it felt like there wasn't really an archetype there, and those specific cards needed more cards around them to see any play, and in the case of Vadier, it's just such a binary card that I'm not even sure you want that card to be seeing play. 
Um, I had fun with that EA memes with Imposter, uh, but boy, were the games very different when I played a Fion and then a Vadier and then it stuck, and when I played a three-point Vadier. Uh, yeah, that's that's extremely binary. Yeah. I mean, um, as as we mentioned before the podcast, you could potentially still play the combo and, for example, steal the Veil card with Imposter since. It's not logged, but it has a status. You could still play Vincent, but Vincent is just such a commitment. It's 11 provisions, and you just kill the card. Mm. Just take out four, potentially six, maybe seven. Depending on the card, it's a good trade, but yeah, it's a little weird to have to rely on that. And... um... You know, Imposter is not being played a lot, so I don't think we have to spend a lot of time um, to talk about it. Uh, I just, I just wanted to, to to hear your opinion on that. But uh, moving on, we we, we already uh, touch touched upon the topic of, let's say, potentially lazy uh, design. Do you feel like the evolving cards, slash echo cards, are like that in a way? Are they are they lazy design? Because I remember during the review review campaign, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, we've seen you know Novgard and we've seen uh, Syndicate, so I can easily predict what all, all the other evolving cards are gonna do." I don't think anyone got them right. There was definitely a point in the uh, reveal where I sort of felt that way. Like after seeing the Novgard one and the Syndicate uh, evolving card first. It felt like CDPR was setting themselves up for lazy design. But I think they did a much better job differentiating the other cards. I really enjoy Varaxis. I think Varaxis is such an underrated card from the expansion. And there are actually a lot of really cool ways to use it. Uh, I've been having fun with my all-god duel NR. Uh, just smashing into as many big dudes as I can. <laughs> um, and uh, it honestly feels pretty good. Like There is a real payoff to that card. It's not just, like, differentiated to be worse. Like, I think a lot of people made it out to be. Um, it feels like it actually plays differently. Um, some of them... I definitely think there's more to be done with evolving cards. I think a lot of people wanted more. And maybe... I think I think, I think a lot of people really liked the idea of evolving cards and were hoping that there would maybe be, like, 15 or 20 evolving cards in the set as opposed to, like, five cards that shared a little bit of a template. Um, And I think that's really understandable, but I also think that given that we got what we got, I wouldn't call the cards lazy design. I think I just would say I hope I see more evolving cards in the future. Uh, I think it's a good direction to go down. Uh, And I also... The Echo cards definitely are not lazy design. I think the Echo cards all play very differently. Uh, Amphibious Assault, Coup de Gras. I guess Coup de Gras and Blood Eagle, I think, were two of the first ones to get revealed, and they share some similarities. Is maybe where it was called Lazy Design. But the other Echo cards feel very different and also have a very good identity, so I'm kind of confused by that one. I think the Echo cards are actually pretty well designed uh, for the most part. They could have been done a lot worse. Most of them can be tutored, which is really nice because I think the biggest potential problem with Echo is it creates a huge amount of variance when you draw the card round one versus when you don't draw the card at all or draw it round three. 
uh, and it felt like most of the cards have a way to get around that. Oniromancy, maybe you could actually argue being the counterexample to that. Oniromancy is maybe one of the more punishing cards when you don't draw it. But there are just like so many other upsides to it. And like a card like Oniromancy was needed for so long that I'm still really glad it's in the game. I, I would say I like the Echo cards. Um, oh, yeah. While you were talking, I, I paid a little bit more attention, and that's com that's completely off topic. I, I paid a little bit more attention to the Viraxis Prince art, and one thing seems rather weird. How on earth is he cutting through the fabric of Decoy with a wooden stick? I'm not sure. I didn't notice that. <laughs> I just like, You were talking, and you, know, you, you mentioned Viraxis, so I just brought the card uh, on, on screen. I was like, hmm, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of the discussion we had during the previous episode with KBT, um, who was stuck in China for a while. And uh, mm. in some cards, you know, swords and daggers were replaced with spoons. So uh, <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe that's uh, like a follow-up on that concept. Yeah, maybe it's actually a spoon, maybe. yeah. <laughs> that explains <laughs> it. <laughs> All clear Mo now. Mo moving on, back on track. Yeah, yeah, let's get back on track. So, yeah, it's it's cool that we brought up um, Northern Realms because a lot of people were hyping the Amphibious Assault that got revealed by McBeard. And uh, how does it work like now? Is is it like an ex expectation uh, coming true or, or not really? I haven't played uh, Northern Realms actually that much recently, mainly monsters. But uh, what about you, Red Rain? It's absolutely an expectation coming true. Card's really good. If anything, it's maybe exceeding expectation because for a whole 30 seconds, I thought the card wouldn't be good. And then I realized it wasn't meant as a tutor. It was meant as, it's actually better if you play it on bronzes. And it's really just a really flexible card that could work really well with engines. Uh, and being able to use it twice is really, really good. And the fact that it can be an emergency tutor in some decks is also really, really good. Um, it works really nicely with Oniromancy as well, uh, just because it gives you two chances to draw the card. Uh, it can work with Natalis. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good card. It's a lot of points. Yeah, it, it gets me thinking that basically it's like apart from the Oniromancy, probably this is the best Echo card. Mm, easily, I think. Yeah. I would say maybe this is the best Echo card, bar none. Uh, like, it's just so good in NR that you could argue that it's more impactful than an Oniromancy. But yeah. NR is in a weird place right now because I think the faction is good, but a lot of people haven't been experimenting with it as much just because they're like, oh, Skellige is broken. Oh, look at monsters. There's this ethereal card now that looks totally broken. Oh, look, look at all these Nilfgaard cards. I would say NR is less flashy, but just as functional. I think NR is, like... To me, I, there's like easily a top four factions right now, and then there's Scoia'tael, and then there's Syndicate. Uh, is sort of how I would divide the factions into tiers. You could argue that Skellige is a tier above the other three. I don't think it's quite that much. Yeah, it it kind of depends on on whether or not we are talking about you know pro rank or or the latter. There's different different factors that we have to uh we have to uh think about in this case because for example we had the stats released by by one of the players i think where skellige had like obnoxious win rate in the top 1500 yeah 
It's possible. I haven't played Skellige. I really need to play Skellige to know like how crazy good it is. Because a lot of people try really hard to make it look worse than it is. Uh, yeah. But obviously for that reason, because it's so good, my stream doesn't want me to play it. And so <laughs> I never play it. And to me, it's like, yeah, is it really that good? There's a very good chance, yeah, it's really that good. Yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think the win rate in the top 1500 was 64 and a half. Oh, that is yeah, that's high. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, is, like that, that is that, that, that is a little bit obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, because I I actually had exactly um you know the same thoughts. I I haven't played enough and I haven't played Skull again, like ever. Um, so I was like, is it is Reddit really just writing about nothing once again? But then I saw some uh, tweets by Demarcation, uh, and then I saw the stats, and I was like. All right, I think there might be a problem. <laughs> but um, speaking of Reddit rioting, uh, we have to move to a completely different topic. A topic that's not very positive. There is nothing to laugh about. And that is the reward system. I'm not sure if you want to talk about the Red Rain, because uh, as I said, it's not a very positive topic. But we're going to ask the question anyway. What's your take on the changes and um, and the way it was handled? I'm going to have to ask a very important question here. Uh, what were the changes? <laughs> I'm, yeah. Oh, I'm, uh, God. I, uh, <laughs> no, I have a lot of know? stuff from playing Gwent for so long. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing that most of the streamers or just pro players, they didn't realize any change, actually. Yeah, I was I mean, the same. Yeah, because you have so many resources, you don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the changes are, uh, back in the day, we had the system where you got two reward points for six, one rounds, and then 12, and then 24. So you had like three cycles. Mm. And they changed it to 24 only but to aid you along the way there is um various quests you get like three of them a week i think except mm. these quests are faction bound so you have to play you know so many mm. dryads or so many frost cards etc and then you know it makes it easier to complete the cycles except when you I are see. a newer player you're not gonna have the evolving cards you are not gonna have all the cards required to complete the quest mm -hmm. so what i noticed as a streamer is a lot of people asking uh for for some reason i stopped getting rewards what's going on can you explain this to me so I for see. you know for an established player this is not really that much of a problem of course it kind of limits your ability to complete the seasonal trees and get the vanities but you know you could argue mm -hmm. that you've been playing so long you have so many avatars and borders you don't really care anyway but as a new player, it really limits your, um, you know, your uh, resources. Plus, yeah. plus, incidentally, and I really don't like talking about that, but incidentally, uh, parallel to the faction challenges, they, uh, they are doing a, a bundle sale on faction kegs, and that's just really in your face. Mm. Yeah, that sounds... That is one thing I've noticed about CDPR rewards in general, is it feels like the farther along you are in the game, like the less you need rewards, the more cool perks you get for getting rewards. It's like, 
I was opening like 250 Master Mirror Kegs on stream, and I flat out didn't know that, oh, I have Prestige Chat, I'm gonna get all premiums. And so that was like a nice warm surprise when I got like a whole bunch of premiums. And for a while, I thought I was just super lucky. <laughs> um, and so it is kind of strange to me that it feels like the reward system is almost catered to like progression almost when with Gwent. One of the great things about Gwent is you don't really need that much stuff. It feels like the emphasis should really be on getting people started and through the door. And obviously they want to make money along the way, and that's sort of why a lot of the rewards system changes have been to make the system a little bit more conservative, uh, just to make it not like overly generous, which I think a lot of people reacted negatively to. Uh, just because the system was too generous in the first place, but people never like it when you push like push it in that direction, where you have to make something less generous. Uh, it just will get viewed as, as stingy, whether it is or not. Um, but I think here, this seems like a more legitimate issue, where it seems like people are just flat out being blocked from doing the quest system because they don't have cards, and they need cards in order to help get cards, which is kind of weird. Um, I, I definitely feel like beat quests should be able to be done by new players. I think that's a really big deal, uh, just for the sake of, even if maybe they're not progressing as quickly, like, you could make the system be as conservative. Like, just the act of actually doing a quest feels good, and the act of having a quest sitting in your menu, unable to be completed because you flat out don't own any of the cards, feels bad. So, yeah, that sounds bad, I guess is my take. Uh, the good news is they are looking into it because uh, I'm not sure how much time you spent on Reddit. But um, the last couple of days, there has been numerous uh, very popular threads basically dominating the front page. Um, filled mm. with people complaining about the system, so they are yeah. looking into that. Uh, and I think, I think you know, okay, it is less generous. Uh, it is somehow uh, punishing new players. But I think what really left a bad taste is there was no notion of it in the patch notes. They didn't say anything during the re review campaign. Like people, people uh, saw it for the first time after the expansion, and as, or, as as some people already said in the chat, they honestly thought it's a bug. Like people just didn't mm. play for a day because they thought this is this is not how it's supposed to work, right? Mm. <laughs> but um, to leave this segment on a more positive note, we already we already talked about this a little bit. Uh, but I would actually like to learn um, what is what is your favorite card this expansion? You know, it could be art, it could be ability, it could be premium, it could be voice line, it could be anything. Because as we already said at the beginning of this segment. You know, um, in many regards, this is the best expansion to date. Mm. And, uh, you know, let's talk about more positive things. About things that you like the most. That's a hard one for me. Because, like, art versus gameplay, they'd all be different. Um, I think overall, I would say I really like Veraxis. Veraxis is cool. Veraxis uh, has been fun to toy around with. Uh, I like that there's something a little less straightforward, um, but actually worth it and has like this potentially really cool ability. Um, yeah, I'll go with Veraxis. Yes, I'm probably I'm probably gonna go for 
Auburn, I think, and the the new deck that got me back to Pro Ladder. Uh, so the mid-range monsters, like the combo, you know, mm. the, the hybrid of Wild Hunt and the uh, Death Rattle. So that will be probably the best for me. And Auburn itself has an amazing artwork as well, especially the last stage. When, when, when I see Auburn, I, I, I cannot forget the comments by Dorka on this card. So Redrim, if you don't know, Dorka is a small-time um, streamer as well. And she was looking at Auburn and she was like, mm. why does he look like a girl? And why does his name sound like a Pokemon? <laughs> I got neither of those impressions. Me neither. To me, <laughs> me neither. Like, but I found it just to me, so it sounds like a Game of Thrones character. I just can't not say Oberon. <laughs> but I really like that comment. It, I didn't get yeah. that impression either. But oh, it was it was just hilarious. Like personally, I don't really need to tell you what my favorite card is because we already talked about that. Mage Infiltrator MVP, easy. Best girl. <laughs> <laughs> don't at me <laughs> um, speaking of things that we liked I think it's the right time to move to the next segment finally like, I, I know that we, we, we have Red Rain talking about everything in, 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 a, in a very extensive manner but now it is really gonna be your time to shine because we have to talk about competitive Gwent so uh not long ago, only a week ago, actually, we had Gwen Open number two, of which you were the semi-finalist. And what I would, I'd like to ask first is, for many people, me included, it was the most entertaining tournament to date. As a player, did you also experience it as such? I mean, absolutely. It was my first time on, like, the big stage besides, since Wild Hunt, really. Like, it was the first time I actually had a tournament, like, being broadcasted where I felt like I, uh, like, it actually, it was, it was the first time that it really felt like a tournament and not just, like, a really long day of streaming and playing intense games. Uh, like, just the spectacle of it all I thought was really cool. Um, I mean, yeah, I was really stressed out, honestly. Like, to me, I was mostly just focused on winning. I didn't really get to watch a lot of the other games. Uh, just because, you know, those there was an hour delay between everything. So a lot of when stuff was broadcasted versus when I had to be playing kind of overlapped. I think I missed both of Wong ID's. Like, I think I missed the quarters and the semis of Wong ID. Uh, who ultimately won the tournament. So I don't even necessarily have like a ton of good like feedback there. Uh, I probably should go back and watch those at some point. But honestly, it's the sort of thing where it was like, it was really fun to do. I think it would be a lot less fun to relive. I'm kind of just happy, you know, saying I tried to play my best game. It was my first time. I had a good time. Try not to think about it too much more. The way I went out was really painful also. So... <laughs> Speaking, of, thinking speaking about of having good time and the way you uh, went out, how do you cope not having the last say against Greatswords three times in a row? How I mean, clearly I it? didn't cope. <laughs> uh, but uh, ultimately, I don't think not having last say against Greatswords is nearly as big of a deal as people make it out to be. As long as you're not playing a deck that just goes straight into their game plan. Uh, I feel like if I had drawn Voimir, I would have coped just fine with not having last say against Greatsword three times in a row. 
it's really pretty simple. You have to you have to save the threat on a great sword so that they can't play it too too early and play all of their payoffs. Uh, and then you have to not give them too big of a bork or too big of a or too big of a mort to where ultimately they just win. Uh, and most of the time, if you do those things, I would say most decks actually outvalue the great swords in the long round. Like they have to play a lot of sort of more inefficient cards to really set themselves up. It's difficult for them to get a hand that's just like good vanilla value. The tools they have are strong, but if you make the right trades in round one, I think ultimately a lot of people see it as like this crazy combo deck that I need to play weirdly against. Well, no, it, it's, it feels to me like more of kind of a value deck, just like anything else. It's trying to get value out of the fact that last say can be really scary and being able to go greatsword mark or bore can be a swing of like a ton of points. But ultimately, it's really hard to actually beat them in round one because they have so many good engines. And I think it's a lot easier to just sort of save the right cards and try to maneuver around them. Saving the last, saving the right cards, sometimes can be a problem, right? Uh, kind of tricky, right? <laughs> yeah, it can be. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's easier said than done. Which kind of brings but... us to the next question, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like you know, speaking of the uh, unfortunate occurrences. Uh, while you were working on your Angie deck, did you imagine like this doom scenario where a fan breaks twice? <laughs> Uh, no, I did not. I'll be honest. That was, uh, the, the second brick wasn't really so much of a brick. I knew it could happen, and I felt like I should take the mulligan. Although, honestly, in hindsight, I'm not really sure what I was mulliganing for. I think the best thing I could have picked up would have been, like, a Dame or a Rot Tosser. Uh, because Joachim would have actually kind of bitten me in the butt when he had double SA and Invo, and potentially was going to invo my morale, although I also should have just held the morale until the last card so that he couldn't do that. Uh, ultimately, I mean, it's a part of playing formation. Sometimes you get in positions where you have to take mulligans uh, to try to win, and then you draw in the fawn, and then you don't win. Um, yeah. I don't love a fawn for that reason, but I mean... Yeah, I, I feel like there sh there maybe could be more ways to interact with that card, or 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 maybe there mm -hmm. could be something like a secondary ability that kind of would do something if you play from hand. But then, yeah, then, you know, you would yeah. basically take the risk away. So, so I think a lot of people would complain about that. That you know, it's a great card if you pull it from your deck, but it's also a great card if you play it from hand. So, um, mm -hmm. so so maybe it should stay the way it is. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of a weird card to me because it makes sense with formation, but at the same time, it feels like it takes away part of the ability to be running it. Like, I think one of my favorite things about Imperial Formation is like rigging your Joachim to pull whatever you want. Uh, like, it, it feels sort of open beta esque, and it also feels like, uh, I mean, it feels fair. You're playing a leader that adds up to eight points if you're not pulling a Fawn. So it feels like when you're usually pressed to just play a fawn and then sometimes it breaks, it's really sad. Uh, but it also does have potentially cool interactions with other cards. I kind of, I don't dislike the card. I don't know. It happened. I don't have much to say about it. There's not much prep to do. Just get good and draw your golds and not <laughs> that gold. <laughs> another tournament-related topic that I really wanted to bring up is the Mimiri magpie's lists 
Oh my god. And that was like as you said before before the podcast, he was just targeting a very specific deck. But mm. holy smokes, I, I think he even outplayed Freddy in the memes department. Yeah. Possible. Uh, no, no, not possible. <laughs> but do you think that you know this kind of borderline memory can be successful in a tournament setting? Um, I think in theory it sort of could, but you have to be very smart with it. Um, I didn't get to see Magpie's precise lineup because that was against uh, Wong ID, as I said earlier. I didn't really watch that series in full. I think the theory was kind of there. A lot of his decks were hitting ST and NR. Uh, stuff like Shiru, I think, is actually pretty okay. I don't remember what some of his other piles were. They might have been less okay. Uh, I think Shiru is a bit underrated, but I also think when you're playing against the best of the best, it's hard to get like good enough matchups against any one deck for like hard targeting as much as Magpie did to make sense. It it did kind of just feel mostly like borderline memory to me. <laughs> I felt like I was trying to do something sort of similar to Magpie, which I didn't really get to show off that much. In terms of all of my decks, I think being favored against Harmony, at least when you had the proper coins to be able to give them. Um, but uh, I also felt like I hedged a lot better for the field. And I think that paid off because quite a few people actually didn't bring Mystic Echo. And like those that did sometimes just still won. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is kind of surprising about Mystic Echo because even if people bring it to the tournament, and I remember, uh, you know, listening to interviews uh, during the Challenger and then during Open Number One, a lot of players were saying, "Yeah, I, I brought Echo, but I didn't even practice because I, I knew people were going to ban it." Mm. Which did, incidentally didn't really happen that much this time around. Were you actually surprised yeah. by that? Were you surprised that people let it be and and, and decided to play against um, Harmony anyway? Um, yes and no. I was I wasn't surprised that someone tried to do that. That's part of why I brought Forge. Uh, was I thought, oh, this deck will completely screw people because people who won't have Harmony will probably have Elves, and Elves can lose to a lot of the same sort of rope punish types of effect type of effects. And that seems to be the most canonically popular way to target ST. So my plan was, I'm going to bring Forge, which is great against ST, and it's great against people that target ST. And then I'm going to bring a bunch of other decks that beat ST, uh, just through greed, rather than row punish, uh, because it felt like a more reliable and safe way to try to get matchups against other decks. Uh, and then we'd all be able to take advantage of a Nilfgaard or Syndicate fan. Um... So I was a little bit unsurprised in that sense. Like, it was sort of part of my strategy. But the fact that so many people did it totally caught me by surprise. I, yeah. It, it felt like memory to the extent that it was done. I think, there, I think a lot of people would have done better if they had just sucked it up and brought Mystic Echo. Yeah. And, well, speaking of memory, like, uh, if... For example, you granted, uh, granted you qualify for another tournament. Would you consider bringing memes yourself, or would you rather rather stick to the more meta decks? Um, I would say none of the above. I don't really feel an obligation to stick to meta decks, and I think a lot of people really like seeing what I can come up with. I don't really consider what I come up with to be memes. 
I think a lot of people have this sort of categorization with decks where it's like it's either a meta deck or it's a meme. Hmm. And to me, I feel like that's just inherently flawed. There's always room for new deck building ingenuity and like new, especially in a tournament format where you can potentially try to target something or ban out something and change your matchup distribution. I think there's a lot of experimentation to be done. I thought I was honestly pretty proud of my lineup. I wouldn't really consider it to be meta, although you could argue that I had basically played tweaked meta decks. Um, so I would say I would I would never bring memes for the sake of bringing memes to an important tournament. I feel like ultimately that's kind of disrespectful. If mm. you're like if it's if you're bringing memes to the point where you're saying I'm bringing memes. And you're like acting like you're not really trying. It kind of feels like that just defeats the purpose of bringing memes. I feel like the best part of memes is winning with memes. <laughs> uh, so I would bring good memes to a tournament, I guess. <laughs> and like, uh... people went crazy whenever I would win literally a game with Forge. Oh yeah, that was absolutely amazing. This deck. Actually, how how did you come up with this deck? Because I'm I'm like still wondering how is it possible. It was after like some time where we had like pretty stale meta, and then this deck appeared. No, someone wanted me to build the Forge deck. Uh, it was kind of a process of elimination sort of thing because originally the deck was just for fun, uh, and so it was like, okay, what cards can you put in this deck that aren't garbage? And I looked at the dwarves, and I was like, ah, huh, the dwarves are pretty garbage. Uh, and then I saw, like, Miner and Berserker, and I was like, oh, yeah, these cards are pretty good. And then I can run Justice, and I can run, like... And then I figured the Forge leader ability would be a lot better if it had actual spell synergy. Uh, so I kind of went more for more of a Gord approach. And then someone suggested Sage and Johnny, which uh, were engines I hadn't really considered because they're normally really inefficient and vulnerable. Uh, but they fit the deck really well, and the fact that you can leader them uh, yeah. actually makes them a lot more protectable, and I thought that was really cool. So I sort of just ran with it. I don't know. It's not <laughs> the first time I've pulled something out of nothing when it comes to a stale meta. Uh, there was a time in beta where I'd taken a long break, and people were playing like that five-month-old uh, Nilfgaard and Al Alchemy Nilfgaard and Greatsword meta. And suddenly I just whipped up a full test and it actually became really popular. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a secret to it. The ultimate, like, the reality of it is I experiment a lot and sometimes it works. Just sort of knowing where to look in terms of having an idea that could work as opposed to having an idea that's like, oh, yeah, this is some new thing that I could do. The reality is almost everything has been tried. It's really about knowing sort of where to look and how to tweak things uh, when it comes to deck building. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm going to suddenly play pirates. Pirates are OP right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, but considering yeah. the way um, you kind of gave in to people's um, suggestions, I just imagine a scene where, you know, people are saying, oh, play, play, play Forge and play Johnny and play this and play that. And then you bring it to the tournament I just like people. People must have gone mad. Like we did it, chat. We did it, Reddit. He's playing it. <laughs> but speaking of uh, very interesting plays and, and combos, um, and to kind of end this uh, rather short segment 
what would you consider the most interesting or surprising play during the last Open? I know that you haven't watched all games from what you managed to see during that weekend. Um, I heard there was a play where someone used their foul blood totem to kill off a Murkvarg uh, to then second win it. I think that was Wang in. Um, that was that sounded pretty cool. I didn't actually get to see that. I was very sad. Um, I honestly, I didn't see much that was like. It's weird saying that with so many meme decks, but the actual gameplay that I did see didn't surprise me very much. The games felt like weirdly how I expected them to play out. Uh, just because I was so familiar with all of the meme decks. I think a lot of people are like, oh, this deck isn't Mystic Gecko. What does it do? Every game is exciting. <laughs> and to me, it's like, no, I've tried all this shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I feel like once you can sort of identify some of the pitfalls of some of these decks, a lot of the games sort of boil down to what you expect. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just a T2 IQ player. Like, I, I don't have any advanced ability of making decks and, and piloting them. So, for example, when I saw, uh, I think it was Tailbot, uh, just using Morg on a damaged greatsword to set up... Uh, wild board to remove that greatsword, I was like, I would have never come up with that idea. I would just probably go for the highest face value on that particular play. So for me, that was like, ooh, that's why he's playing tournaments, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember that game. I don't think I got to see it. But sounds cool. Uh, Hester, what was your uh, favorite or most surprising play? Well, hard to say actually. I wasn't able actually to watch the matches themselves because we were just you know sitting on Discord, and every time I had some you know some spare time, I was trying to just relax a bit. But I would say I was really impressed by by Neverhood's plays, to be honest, because you know people didn't expect him to go to, to play well, and he managed to get to the final. And his ability to, you know, to use the, the matchups, to use his lineup against uh, the opponents was pretty well. And Red Rain actually, uh, you could say that he felt that a bit. Uh, although he misplayed a lot, right, in your match. I, yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I, I tried hard to stay quiet there. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I have a very different perspective on how Neverhood got to the finals. <laughs> Ooh, I, spicy. Let's hear yeah. it. To some to some extent, it was my own fault. I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to be like, oh, I never got lucky, re. But also, never <laughs> also got lucky, re. <laughs> yeah. um, it was very painful to almost reverse sweep great swords, which is the deck that I was expecting to have the most problems against, uh, and then just not draw my cards. Uh, I felt like I had a very good pass, and I should have been able to win the game if I had gotten Boimir at all. It was the only gold I really needed. I did mulligan it round one, but you expect to pick it up there. Like I played the card that I had that I had put in place of Voimir, so I needed every player that I had round one in order to get out the Skellige Storm. If he had been able to keep the Skellige Storm, I wouldn't have won a long round. Um, so it, it, it sort of felt like I was trying my best, and he just kept getting all of the gold cards. I'm not really sure what he did that was impressive against me. I didn't get to see his other match. Um, I did throw pretty hard game one, uh, as was mentioned earlier in the title. 
the decree was just kind of an unnecessary risk. What I was really afraid of was him going double leader charge and pushing me. But I realized after that it was a really stupid fear because if he burned, his leader charges are the key to his short round. And the sort of elf game plan against Draug in order to try to win is to win round one and then shorten the round as much as possible. Usually you're going a card down uh, and then just like have that many points with your leader and like maybe Aileron and stuff like that. Um, but if I burn two of his leader charges, he doesn't have as good of a short round. So I was really hitting him where it hurt, and I didn't need to take that round one. Uh, so I can't, I can't say that, oh, I just feel like I outplayed him and I got unlucky, because I made a lot of mistakes, too. There was the morale in the Syndicate game where I tied, which I really should have just held on to. I don't think it really did me many favors to trade with his wild boar. Uh, but... Ultimately, I can't point to any one play that he made where I was like, oh, yeah, that was smart. <laughs> and that, that kind of hurts, because I felt like there were definitely a lot of moments where, you know, is just like, yeah, I mean, that's Gwent, but... Yeah, well, well, that's true, that's true. But on the other hand, I like the games where you can see, let's say, a human factor, because when I watch, for example, Demarcation play or Wang ID, I can feel that I'm not really watching a player. <laughs> this guy is just, you know, making all the plays correctly, especially demarcation last open. But mm -hmm. this is a really exciting game because of these misplays, because of, you know, this mm -hmm. uh, some, you know, some plays that we just we, we do the same, right? We as a players, normal players, let's say, yeah. not the pro players. Yeah. And, and speaking of human factors, I think it's a good moment to move to the last segment, which is a lot of people's favorite personal Q&A. So get ready, Red Rain, because the questions all are right. coming. <laughs> all right, all right. You didn't make it to the finals, but you are definitely the most memorable player of the last Open. And my personal MVP, the first question I want to ask is, how did you get the idea of showing notes? Because this was probably the first time somebody actually <laughs> tried to yeah. communicate with the audience during the match. So I actually got that. I, I sort of pulled the page out of Trinet's book from Wild Hunt. Uh, Trinet, on the live stage in the finals, would, he got like five blue coins in a row or something ridiculous. I think it might have been more than that if he counted the match before. Uh, he, he would tell you and he wouldn't shut up about it. Um, but uh, yeah, there were a lot of... Uh, he wrote a lot of funny notes. Uh, and so I, I attempted to replicate that, though obviously some of them didn't come through very well. Um, it seemed like kind of a smart way to communicate with people, but not be like overbearing. Uh, although it kind of backfired a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, but I, that mean? was just in just in terms of I think some people took that as more offensive that I was like communicating in the middle of a match and not just like playing. Whereas you could justify emotions as just being like, oh yeah, those are emotions. What's he gonna do about that? <laughs> um. I, I was really playing, don't get me wrong. I was like, my head was 100% in the game. Uh, I was trying my best at every possible moment. Um, I don't know, people have a funny way of reading into anything, so really I think it was fine. Yeah, no, notes are one thing, but I, I just admired the whole setup. You had like a punch ball in the background, and then you had that <laughs> Mystic Echo logo uh, <laughs> pinned to it. And then when you when you won with Forage, you just ate the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? 
This was amazing. Yeah, that, was, that was the best moment, man. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this here comes the question from the chat, by the way. Oh, man. How does the Mystic Echo taste? Is it salty? <laughs> <laughs> For the first I mean... time, chat comes, comes up with a good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I figured if I ever ate a dryad, it would probably just taste like plant. So I would say it was pretty realistic. <laughs> It tasted a lot like plant because it was made out of paper. <laughs> Eating a dryad sounds wrong on so many levels. <laughs> oh, move on. Let's 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 yeah. continue, guys. Let's let's keep a straight face and continue. <laughs> yeah, but you know, since it was your first tournament, uh, we have to ask how it feels to be on the other side of the screen, right? Not watching it, but. Uh, participating although it was the online setup right it would be i think much better to to be in the land setup right but mm. still pretty yeah. exciting i think it was exciting but much more than anything i was nervous i think a lot of people thought that i wasn't nervous just because i was willing to clown around and no not at all <laughs> I, I think the nerves got me more than almost anyone it was my first time i felt like i had a lot to prove and to me, it's not just my status as a competitive player. Like, it was my chance to show, you know, what I can do on that front. But also as a streamer, right? Like, the farther I go, like, the much more, like, it felt like there was so much riding on me because I was the favorite, because so many people knew me and so many people wanted me to do well. Um, and I, I, I really didn't want to let them down. Like, it felt like if it was just me, then, you know... I would be able to do it and play it like any other tournament. But uh, there, it, it was amazing to see all of the support that I got. And I, I absolutely loved it. I'm, 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 I'm not saying I wish it wasn't there uh, <laughs> but at all. But uh, it, was, it was definitely stressful. I don't think the stress hurt me. I felt like I handled it pretty well. I have my ways of sort of venting it. And a lot of times that does just come off as uh, clowning around. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's stressful is what it is more than anything. I was enjoying myself, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, actually comparing... the next um, yeah, go on, go on. question I wanted to ask. Is, you know, this um, plethora of emotions that you show during open, is, is that your way of coping with stress? Yeah, it feels like there's sort of two ways to look at what's going on. Uh, you're either playing for thousands of dollars, uh, a game, like a couple of games that can often be very, uh, that often have a heavy luck factor in them. And that's just like terrifying to think about. Or I can just make it into a fiesta. So that's what I did. <laughs> like, this, podcast shoot, is, this podcast is just a goldmine of quotes. Um, <laughs> uh, do we yeah, have more we have questions, Heather? More yeah. personal questions? Yeah, the personal question about your nickname, actually. So, what's the story of your other nick, Big Rain? Is it somehow related to the chair incident at Wildhead One? I remember actually watching that personally. Me too. Was one Me of too. the very, I don't know, hundreds of people clipping that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Mark Hughes was... actually brought it up during the open. <laughs> about that as well. I didn't see that. I'm sad now. I've, 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 
Martheus is cool. I I hope Martheus is still doing well. Um, I haven't really seen him since the late dissolvement of uh, Team Rankstar. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, rip. Uh, <laughs> it's actually not related to the chair incident. It's related to uh, an emote made by Pabs, um, which was like the character on my shirt, just like the big, big, big Graham. Uh You'll see him a lot if you're ever uh, watching my stream. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, at that point, it just kind of stuck. And then I <laughs> felt like I could be Big Rim. And a lot of people just called me Big Rim. And uh, I dig it. I've got no problem with oh, it. Oh, yeah. Du during the open, whenever you showed up on screen, everyone's like, <gasps> Bog Champ, Big Rim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think this concludes our list. Do we have questions from the chat? We have one, but we actually talked about it a bit. So uh, what is the biggest takeaway from playing in the open? Would you try for it again, right? So that's the question from the chat. But yeah, if you want to address that, that'd be cool. Absolutely, so I'm going to try for it again. Uh, I thought it was great. I enjoyed my time a lot. I think next time I'll be less nervous, which will help a lot. Uh, I feel like, honestly, I did a very good job preparing, and then my execution wasn't quite there, which is usually the opposite from uh, my experience uh, playing tournaments. So to me, it's very clear that I can easily improve and I can easily do better. I'm honestly happy that my lineup worked as well as it did. I feel like uh, in the theory, I feel like in theory, I might have brought the best lineup to that tournament, which I know will sound shocking considering there was a forge in it. Um, <laughs> But uh, I felt like it honestly played out about how I expected it to. A lot of times whenever I try to do something that's a little more creative, I just have some massive oversight. Like uh, I'll bring Keltolis to a qualifier and then lose to a Scoia'tael deck <laughs> and just hate my life. <laughs> Which happened twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you also got another one. Actually, yeah, we asked about the Big Rain, but what about your main nickname, right? Red Rain. Where did that come from? Uh, so I've been asked this a good amount. Uh, it honestly didn't really come from anywhere. Uh, when I was like a little kid, I wrote some short story. It was about a horse, and for whatever reason, I thought I was really creative and named him Red Rain. <laughs> uh, and I figured that was about as good of a source for a nickname as any. Um, I feel like a lot of people really struggle with coming up with an identity, and I feel like something sort of like that that I can just grasp from when I'm from when I was young, uh, that sort of stands out and is unique. It sort of accomplishes everything I would want out of a nickname. I don't really want to be like Gwent Master One Two Three uh, <laughs> or something like that, where it's like, oh yeah, it, my nickname reflects like what I do. I want it to be me. I want it to stand out as me more than anything. I don't really care if it reflects what I do or even makes sense. Yeah, that, 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 that whole cool. Gwent Master thing actually reminded me of something from another game where a streamer was just, you know, mocking chat and he was like, I'm going to make a new account and I'm going to name it um, like something very manly. And he and then he typed triple X, Pussy Destroyer 69, triple X. <laughs> Click enter, already taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, we actually have another meme question. If you were a card, what would you yeah. do? Um, 
I don't know. <laughs> what would I do if I was a card? Hmm. I'd probably eat myself. <laughs> eat myself. Next, I, I mean, Slama, Pavo, Rebecca, guys, if you're watching, if you need um, a good idea for a new monster costume card, this guy right here. <laughs> it has to be Big Rame. <laughs> Next expansion, Big Rame. <laughs> you could actually do some pretty cool things with self-consuming cards. That's actually I didn't think about that as an idea. Maybe there's something there. Maybe that is actually what I would do. I would definitely want to be a monster card. <laughs> okay, guys, so we are approaching the two-hour mark. So with that being said, it's time for the shameless plug. So, Red Rain, if people feel the need to find you on the interwebs, where can they do it? All right, best place to find me for sure is on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash redrame, uh, spelled as it is in the podcast, uh, R-E-D-R-A-M-E. Uh, also, I have a Discord server, which is linked in the description there. Um, I guess I could go into chat and like post it if anyone is really yeah, curious. Yeah, sure, go on. Uh, fuck, I have to get the invite link. <laughs> uh, I was not prepared for this. I'm, I'm, I'm not really used to like, big shadows. Finally, we, we caught you off guard. Right, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, there it is. I posted the thing. Uh, and then also, I might be trying to open a merch store soon with uh, the shirt that I was wearing in Gwen Open. Uh, I had meant to have it ready by Gwen Open, uh, but because of some uh, issues with coronavirus, uh, I was trying to use Amazon because it seemed really cool that I could do that, and then people could have to deal with Amazon shipping instead of literal garbage custom t-shirt shipping. Um, but they only ship to Europe right now. And it seemed a little bit weird to like open up a shop that could only ship to Europe when everyone was like, oh yeah, it's the NA player, Pagu. <laughs> so I figured I wouldn't cross that bridge, and honestly, I didn't love everything about their op of op about their service anyway, so... I'm probably going to find another site and, uh, you know, take my time with that. Uh, but, I mean, if anyone wants a big rim shirt, it's easy enough to sell at this point now that the design is there. Um, so, that's coming. Okay, Hesser, <laughs> your time to shine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, well, I'm streaming mainly on Twitch. So, if you want to find my channel, you can just type twitch.tv slash Hesser Tavern. Yeah, we are. We have a pretty international community over there. So if you want to talk to some players from from Poland, from Russia, from lots of other countries, that's a good place to go. And unfortunately, I don't have my merch yet, but <laughs> that'd be <a> cool <laughs> idea. <laughs> I'm gonna, or I'm just gonna get the big Graham shirt, and and this is gonna be this is gonna be the best option, I think. <laughs> Uh, I'm not really gonna promote myself because you guys are already in my channel, but I'm gonna just remind you that if you wanna stay in touch off stream, you can follow us on Twitter, and that this episode is also, also gonna be uploaded on YouTube, Spotify, and a couple of other platforms, either tonight or tomorrow, and since I'm feeling very generous today, I feel like we could leak something, because the next episode is gonna oh. be really big, almost as big as Big Rame. So, guys, if you want to figure out who's our next guest, 
Look at Nickers, look at Dernie Muller and Geralt Igni. The hints are in these three cards. So uh, look look at look look closely and you'll figure out who our next guest is. And with that being said, Red Rain Hester, guys, thanks for being here. Really, really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. I a lot of fun. And Chad, thanks for staying with us for two hours. Always nice to see people show up for the podcast. And with that being said, we'll see you guys next time, which is going to be over in exactly two weeks. And we are going to raid somebody in a couple of moments. But for now, it is all. So have a great Saturday. Thanks for being with us. And we'll see you guys later.